Welcome to the FNO InsureTech Podcast, a place where movers and shakers from all points within the insurance ecosystem gather and discuss all things InsureTech. We talk about how technology and innovation are affecting and driving change in the industry. Here are your hosts, Lee Boyd and Rob Beller. Hey, Podcast World. Welcome to a whole new usage of our incredible, remarkable, super popular Joe Rogan move over. <laughs> it's a big deal. Podcast. Big deal. That's right. Because our podcast, not for the first time, but no. maybe for the biggest time, is uh, being used for a big announcement. It's an FNO news event. News uh, event. Uh, it's someone else's news event. Not our news, but it's, it's a not, edition it has, of the... It doesn't industry. have a darn news. thing to do with us. No, we have nothing to do with this. No, no. But but we get to talk about it. And I didn't mean to make it sound like Joe Rogan's going to be on our podcast. Because that's not the case. He doesn't know our podcast. No. That I'm aware of. He that may. Aware. Yeah, he, not that yeah. I know of. He might be intimidated by, by our four listeners. There's a chance. Our There's four chance. downloads that we get every week. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but but you're really building this one up here, Rob. But but seriously, um, we have a, 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 a it, this is a special edition. It is. I think it's a it's a big deal. It's a it's a big deal, and the longer the longer we talk about, I think it's even a bigger deal. So I keep, I keep thinking so, about it. So if I if I extend out the, our intro here. For a while, it'll even be a bigger deal. It'll be like a giant elephant. Like uh, it'll be you, huge. Your head might explode. It might explode. Well, then we should move things along. Because I think I, we should. I don't want to see that. So because so, I bet the episode's pretty good. So we have with us today for the second time, two times a guy, a guy, and I'm going to just spill his name right now. Dan Reed, the 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 top banana at American Family Ventures. Dan, Dan. So let me tell you a quick story. So a long Please. time ago, uh, when we were starting the podcast years ago, uh, we decided that if we could have somebody on like Dan Reed, now there's a luminary, big, big, big name, big shot in our um, in in the InsureTech ecosystem. We could have him on. That'd be. I mean, I wonder if we could do that. Yeah, we would so have made it. We would so have sent him an email, and in like 20 seconds, he says, "Sure, why not?" and and we, I mean, and and that is probably the best way to describe Dan Reed. Yeah. He, on the one hand, is the most gentle, nice, unassuming man, um, yeah. buried inside of this brilliant, highly successful exterior. And I'm not even talking about his baseball career here. Right, right. Maybe I'm talking we'll talk about. about that. I'm talking about his career as uh, as a VC. And mm -hmm. inside of the InsureTech ecosystem, and a brilliant man, a very successful man, but most importantly, a terrific guy. He he is a delight to to talk to. A delight. I still remember when you said the very first time years ago that Dan was coming on. We all got nervous. We're like, "Oh, yeah. this is a big deal. Mm -hmm. It's a mm -hmm. big deal." And mm -hmm. you know, today I'm still that way. I'm still like, "This is a big deal." Our friends at AmFam Ventures reached out to us and and asked, would we like to be the place where a big announcement is made today? Yeah. A, a, a big piece of news that is important to the ecosystem, to the InsureTech ecosystem, highly relevant to the InsureTech ecosystem, super honestly meaningful. It is. To the InsureTech e ecosystem. Would we house that and we... We, didn't we said no. We, we said no. <laughs> oh, I kid. I kid. We didn't even need to think about it. We said, absolutely, we'd love to, whatever it is. And so we're not going to spoil it here. We're going to wait until the interview, just in yeah. a second, yeah. starts. We'll let Dan but, talk about it. But we'll let Dan, we'll let Dan tell you. So, um, so before Lee goes and spoils it. I almost did. I you almost, almost did. did. You almost spilled the beans. We're going to get right to our interview with Dan Reed, 
Managing Director at American Family Ventures. Hey, everybody, we're here with a special guest, a returner. You might say, and this has a lot of different meanings, we put a call into the bullpen. And nice. Thank nice. you. Thank you. Thank you. And they sent Dan Reed out, the lefty. I called for a righty. They sent in the lefty. And um, we have with us today the uh, managing partner. Did I say that right, Dan? Is yeah. That, what, what's your fine. title? That's good enough. Yeah. Okay. Okay. At American Family Ventures, in the continuing series of people who've been on our podcast, Dan was the first person from American Family Ventures, but not not the only one. And well, thanks for coming out of the bullpen for us. We yeah, thanks, well, Dan. Welcome Thank back. You. Try not to be the last. So I, I was. Uh, so you're making a, you're making a reference to the fact that I was a uh, unsuccessful professional baseball aspirant, <laughs> but uh, you, you gave me some sort of you know, traumatic uh, memory here because. I was always a starting pitcher, and then every time I'd come out of the bullpen, it was a disaster. Like I, I never felt like I was part of the game. So you know, you have these uh, relief pitchers that come out with like uh, songs, like Wild Thing, right. or like oh, yeah. Sandman. Uh-huh. Mine would have been like Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. <laughs> like, 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 Everyone slowly clapping. Yeah, it was like, oh, this guy's coming out excellent. Oh excellent. man, why yeah. this guy? Yeah, yeah, but yes, I'm happy to be back. Thanks for having me back. Uh huh. I hear it being played by like a four-year-old. With on one finger, one yeah. <laughs> I did. I mean, I, I will say I did hear a, a marching band once play "March of the Sugar Plum Fairies," and it sounded so ominous, and, and in a way, it was like so metal that uh, it stuck with me. Like thirty years later, like I, I can't. Well, there breathe. you go. That yeah. might have been. That might have been your music. Could have been it. Yeah. Could have been it. Sticking with you. Well, we're not going to go down the path of reliving. Um, those years, although, uh, as you know, there are millions of people in America who would give any part of the left side of their body to have had that experience. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I, I, I bet it was. And um, no matter how far you got, it, it, you played professional baseball. That's cool. Yeah, it was fun. I have a niece now I'm visiting my family um, here in the in the Washington D.C. area, and I have a niece who just had a chance to play in the ten-year-old uh, national softball uh, tournament. Oh wow! Yeah, and it's intense. I mean, I, I didn't even start playing baseball until I was ten, and here she is in the nationals. It's just the, the parental commitment these days is is completely next level compared to it's what it a used lot. to be. It's a lot. I yeah. I have friends who. Son is now a, a freshman in high school, and they just spent two and a half weeks in tournaments. We're in California, in Atlanta, Georgia. Yeah. And, I mean, you just drop everything, right? And it's, yeah. you're, the tail wags the dog. Yeah, that's right. With two-a-day practices and everything. But Yeah. Um, Thank goodness for the work-at-home environment. Think where you would have been. <laughs> Burned out by sophomore year. I'd have been in the exact same spot. Yeah, it still wouldn't have worked out. Yeah. Well, um, well, thank you, and thanks for taking a few minutes out from from your vacation. I assume to to visit with us. We we really appreciate it. So I, I have to start with this little story. So when we started the podcast, which was 2019, we we really worked really hard in the beginning to try to get people on that we felt from the little bit that we knew about InsureTech, because we thought we knew something and we didn't know anything. And sadly, five years later, we still don't. Yeah, but, no way. but that's beside the point. Exactly. And, and so we thought, who could we get on who would be like a, a, an impact name? And, and we found Dan Reed. Dan and, Reed, got to get and, Dan Reed. And so I said to Lee, we're going to ask him to be on. I'm sure he probably won't even answer the email. Or, or or the reach out. And so I, I think I sent him an email and in like 10 minutes, he writes, sure, no problem. Sure, <laughs> there's, there's like nothing to it. And so um, we that, knew we made it then. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But, I, I, I was telling you guys before we started recording here that that was the one podcast my mother's ever listened to. So you get and I, and I listened to it to make sure I wanted to send it to her. So you get two two people listen to that podcast at least. At least two listens. Uh-huh. So so you didn't. So you made sure that there wasn't a, a bad story about your mother in it. <laughs> right. You gotta, yeah. You, <laughs> I have to screen carefully for that because you never uh-huh. know, right? Uh huh. You never know. 
Yeah, we have that a lot. Well, when you do a, a podcast that's focused on insure tech, your audience is kind of limited to begin with. I, we, we mentioned when we started that b- both of our wives have listened to episodes that uh-huh. we force them at gunpoint to listen to. And, and you know, two minutes in, they're, they're begging for they're us begging to shoot to them. 30 Please seconds. Use 30 the seconds. Gun I heard enough. I heard enough. Uh-huh. Thank you. Uh-huh. Um, but anyways, all that aside, let's uh, let's let's start anew, start fresh. And we're going to start with the specific reason why we have you here today. And that is kind of a big deal announcement in the world that we live in today from uh, from from AmFam Ventures. And that is what, Dan? Yeah, well, the, the last time you had me on back in 2019, we were in the middle of fundraising for what was our third fund, uh, fund three. But when you're fundraising, <clears throat> you're not allowed to talk about the fact that you're fundraising in a in a sort of open forum like a podcast. So I think I made some, like, you know, veiled allusion to it or something uh, in that. But we finished fundraising for fund four on Friday, and today is Monday when we're recording this. So uh, I can say that we've now closed our fourth fund. And, and Congratulations. Uh, happy to be able to report it here first. That is exciting. What an exciting time. Yeah, it, it was fun. You know, it takes a while to, to, to raise a fund. We um, we started in the end of 2021, actually. Oh, wow. it was, oh, it was wow. Yeah, it was ta- talking to some of the some of the limited partners, some of the some of the investors that we had for fund three, you, you kind of start with the people who are already in the, you know, in the, in the circle that way. And then we did the f- first close, so to speak, um, uh, in uh, the middle of 2022. And then you typically have like a year to bring in other commitments and, and we just wrapped it up, um, this, uh, this, this past week. So we we're happy to say we doubled the, Plus the, the the size of the fund from Fund Three, so that allows us to expand the team and and um, expand the network a bit uh, in what feels like a little bit of like a new wave of of the insure tech space. But it's uh, it's good to have some money to invest at a time when I think there's some uncertainty in the market, and but there's still a lot of work to be done for sure. So, was the reception out there different for Fund Four? than it was for done fund three, just based on the macro uh, world that we're in today? A, a little bit. Um, it's not a great time to be raising venture capital. A lot of, uh, well, most of the money that we raised is from uh, from the insurance industry. It's, it's from carriers and, and uh, there, there are a couple of brokers in there as well and, and a few individuals. But a lot of the people who make limited partnership investments for a living will talk about the so-called denominator effect mm-hmm. where when the when the value of their other uh, assets is declining through you know public market activity or, or what have you then you end up with a, an over allocation toward alternative investments like of which venture capital is one and so it's a little harder to make the case that you need to be taking on you know more risk or you need to bring on some alternative um, investment relationships into that portfolio when uh, when those are sort of organically increasing in weight within within an investment portfolio so that that was a little bit challenging and I think had a had a, a slightly diminishing effect but what was helpful to us is uh, we could start with a base of investors so we had we had 13 companies backing us for fund three and nearly all of them came back in for for fund four, which is wow, good, that's good place great. To start. Yeah, that's and then great. and then we we were able, you know, during the process of investing at a fund three, we we were able to build out our team and our capabilities and and uh, and how we interact with with these capital partners. Um, and so we were able to offer some proof points about you know what what is it that we do? How, how do we engage in a way that's maybe a little bit different from uh, other investors that um, are a little bit less maybe strategic in nature as well. I mean, we, we certainly invest for financial returns, but there's a strategic engagement model that we have that I think is the heart of, of why we raised money from from other parties. Our first two funds were just American Families uh, Capital, but the, the last two have been this multi-limited partner model. Um, and, and the reason why is, is you know, kind of what we were joking about, right? There's just so much to know in the insurance market, in the insure tech market, in the technology market, that having more 
people, you know, who who manage insurance companies or the subcomponents of an insurance company who manage who do all that for a living, it just allows us to be a little sharper when it comes to making investment decisions and then making connections on behalf of the portfolio that develops, you know, after we make those investments. It, it's uh, it's just good to have a little bit of a wider network, and we were able to show a bit more to the new. To the new parties who joined us, uh, how that how that works and how that will work with uh, with our fourth fund here. Is this you, a is this a larger fund for you? I, I don't know. I don't know if you said earlier. Yeah, or, two apps. <clears throat> yeah, two it, fund fund um, fund one was fifty million dollars. Fund two was one hundred and fifty, and then we took a little bit of fund two and we put it into fund three, which is two hundred thirteen, and then fund four is four hundred forty four. Wow. So that's a big, that's a big jump. That's big. Yeah, it was a big jump. We, we were, you know, when we were kind of ramping up to, to, uh, to, to start this process back in 2021, if you remember, 2021 was like a super hot year for mm-hmm. insure tech investing, for, for venture capital investing in general. And, um, and, you know, sort of back of the envelope math we were doing is, uh, you know, we would have to, we'd have to raise a much larger fund to have the same investing Right, power essentially, than uh, that Be- we did because of the effect on pricing. Yeah, pricing is up. Rounds were getting bigger. You know, it used to be when, when we were when we were starting out. You know, ten years plus ago, uh, like a typical Series A uh, would be a million dollars on a on like a four to you know six million dollar valuation or something like that. And some of that was we started in the in the upper Midwest, and maybe those are a little like showing my bias toward Wisconsin the ecosystem, whatever. But, <laughs> but, you know, that turned into like, um, you know, companies that, that really hadn't, hadn't got to much traction yet in 2021, we're, we're doing things like, you know, we're raising $8 million on, you know, 32 million pre or something like that. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, those numbers have come back down to earth to some degree, but uh, what, when we were thinking about the size of the fund, that was definitely uh, part of the calculus is, is you know, how large do you need to be in order to. But then the other, the other benefits are you collect some management fees um, based on the capital that's committed. And the management fees of a larger fund allow you to, to increase the size of the team, increase the both in terms of the investors, but also in terms of the kind of what we call our platform team, which is kind of like a strategic services um, part, of, part of the business services for the limited partners, but also for the portfolio companies. To you mean uh, like advisory help? We're we're here to be a part of your strategic team. Yeah, it, it's um, the way it works for the for the limited partners. That think of it as like an insurance carrier who, who would have invested in us. They they want to get the financial return based on the investment that they make, of course, but. Um, what they're also really looking for is just some innovation opportunity flow. So, mm-hmm. you know, our, our case to a lot of these folks is, is we'll look at, you know, with, with the investing team of now we have 13 investors, then we have nine people on the, on the you know, platform side, the, the investing team will look at anywhere from 1500 to 2000 opportunities a year. Um, wow. Even, even at the moment when things are a little bit slow, they'll, they'll, they really try the, the goal that we haven't found a great way to track yet, but the, the goal is that we never read about uh, a funding event that we hadn't already talked to the company. Um, so we're trying to see we're trying to see everything, and it's just hard to do unless you're unless you're kind of built for it and evolve into that. So you know, a carrier that says we want to, we you know, we want to get some some innovation opportunities started at our company, um, they look to us to say you know who are the who are the ten companies we should talk to this quarter or you know, we're, we're thinking about even it's even evolved to say, you know, we're thinking about something very specific. We want to do, um, you know, a, a streamlined touchless claims process for something. Uh, uh, can you show us all the companies that could help us with that? And so for us, we we uh, we make a point as, as sharing that that flow. Mm-hmm. That's so great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, hopefully it makes us more valuable to the startups as well. Right. Uh, because they're trying to meet a bunch of you know carriers as, as sales opportunities. So whenever you set up a fund, this being your fourth fund, is there a certain focus that you have? Is there a certain uh, type of company you're going after? Or is it just kind of like the other three? 
Yeah, yeah. No, it, the, all of them have been kind of the same focus. It's early stage, so we used to call that seed through Series B. And then sometime in the last five years, those terms kind of um, lost their meaning. Uh, so now we talk about it as incubation. So, you know, we'll get in at the, at the very earliest opportunity through uh, growth, uh, which is, you know, you're at 10 plus million in, in revenue. And it's, uh, that's, that's the stage focus. And then for us, it's the uh, centered around InsureTech. Um, and then a couple of areas kind of surrounding InsureTech, if you think about artificial intelligence or um even just things that change the context of risk management. If you think about, uh, you know, autonomous vehicles or oh, yeah. even, you know, even climate these days, you know, a, a climate related investment wouldn't be insure tech necessarily, but it would be certainly relevant to the homeowners carriers that are, that are backing us. So uh, it's, it's kind of a, it's, it's kind of a, like a fun balance of defining what is our focus. We can certainly, we can certainly focus on early stage, but, um, you know, discovering what's relevant or what's likely to be relevant to the insurance industry is is always an area of, of a little bit of creativity. Yeah, and, uh, you, you you said you said that you felt that insure tech is in a particularly interesting place right now. Mm-hmm. Is, is is that kind of part of what you're talking about? A, a bit. I mean, what, what I was thinking about is more. So I guess there's two ways to to think about it. The the first is I, I think it's an, it's always an interesting question to say what is the you know what is the boundary of of insure tech? What are the things that that a, a carrier should be thinking about or having some exposure to, maybe through uh, a high risk type of vehicle like like a venture fund like ours, and you know things that come into that world or like you know when is quantum computing relevant to a, to the financial industry? It's it's coming, I think. It, it's not quite there yet, um, but there's always sort of what's on the edge, and, th- and that's an interesting um, part of what we do, but. More specifically, I think what I was talking about is just insure tech. It's like pure insure tech, you know, new carriers or, or new companies that serve that serve existing carriers. It's just in a it's in a strange, um, slightly stuck space right now. Yeah, yeah. Where um, you know it, it, there was continued growth in venture funding going into the insure tech space for years. I mean, I think going back to maybe 2012, every year was a new record in, in venture funding for mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. for insurance. And then it started being called, started being called InsureTech, whatever, by 2015. 2021 was a high watermark. I think it was maybe $13 billion or so, up from like $7 billion in 2020. Uh, but then 2022 came back down uh, from that peak. And I think the... Um, the implications of that reduction in total funding are being felt by a, a lot of different companies, you know, and and uh, and it affects fundraising strategy. It affects you know how you run your business as a startup. Uh, it affects how you run a, a venture capital fund, um, you know, like ours. And it's, it, I think everyone's kind of discovering what is the new normal, or is there a, is there a new long term normal in terms of. Uh, what it takes to get funded in the in the insurance market right now. It changed the focus of how what venture funds want their portfolio companies to how they want them to behave and what they want to look at. Right. It's right. I mean, I mean, like for example, profitability. Right. Is that, is that fair to say? It is. Yeah. I mean, if if you think back to maybe like a 2019, 2020, you know, 2021 where there's more and more capital coming into the space every year, then imagine if you're sitting on a board uh, of a startup and, you know, the, the question is what's, you know, what, where are we going to get the next round? And the answer is there's, there's like money everywhere. Right. You, you don't need to worry about that. And Shake so, the tree. Yeah. So what, what we should be focusing on is what's the biggest growth story that we can tell to the market because the money's coming in, uh, you know, primarily in response to what feels like a big growth opportunity. And you saw the first wave of, of you know, insuretech disruptor carriers hit the public market. And, and that, that growth story and the sort of inevitability of the next funding event, it didn't really hold up, uh, which created, a, you know, the first effect was the people who would fund that pre-IPO round, you know, the sort of later stage, you know, large check growth investors were pulling back a bit from, from the insuretech story. And that led to an immediate reaction that says, okay, well, maybe if if growth, um, 
you know, potentially at the expense of profitability isn't being rewarded the same way, then we need to be a bit more balanced in, in our approach. So we need to sure have enough growth that someone thinks this, this is a, you know, a, a viable um, and exciting story, but we need to have enough of a, of at least a narrative around profitability or, or a path to profitability that the risk that the next round doesn't come together uh, is something that we can live with or something we can deal with. And, you know, so you, you started seeing, you know, a couple of the companies where we have, uh, you know, board seats or sort of inside views, you, you started seeing immediately, you started seeing discussions around, well, our, our growth plan is to grow hundred percent this year. Should we pull it back to 60%? Should we pull it back to 30%? You know, here's the effect on our cash burn. Here's the effect on, on our sort of years to profitability. And, and I think in every case, we, we were getting questions from investors around, um, you know, are you guiding your you know, portfolio partners to a more balanced story? And, and the answer was, yes, yeah, sort of. But we don't really need to guide anybody. Like, the, you know, everyone's coming coming up with the same conclusion, which to me felt like sort of the InsureTech 2.0 story, right? Where now it's, there's a lot of innovation to be done in the insurance industry. I don't think you can really point to any large carriers and say that they are as efficient, as you know, innovative as they as they aspire to be. But I, I, I think that that uh, so there's there's, a, there's like a lot of work to be done. But I think the uh, growth at all cost model is not something that we that we get pitched really yeah. at all anymore. Yeah. Is that what's important to your investors, though, now? Have you seen that change among your investors in general, where they're saying, you know, we need to see the long-term viability of this company past just being able to scale? Yeah. Right? Yeah. The, the, is this, it, is it, this it, really a company on its own down the road? For, for sure. That, that's, that's the point. And I would, I would put an even sharper point on it, where we had a meeting of our um, what we call our, our LPAC, our limited partner investing, uh, limited partner uh, advisory council. This is uh, a handful of our of our limited partners. We, we meet a couple times a year, and we met a few few months ago, and we went through the the portfolio from Fund Three, and um, I was able to report to them that that most of the companies, or at least most of the value that we're holding in that portfolio, is in companies that have either become cash flow positive or have raised the money that they that funds the plan to get them to cash flow positive it's uh and so that isn't just you know over the long term we're building you know sustainable businesses that was i was able to report that um a lot of them have already taken it upon themselves to to get to that level of stability now uh and they really liked it. They were a little surprised by it. The, the the investors were surprised that they had taken those actions to to get to uh, that place. But you know, in the face of some uncertainty around where's the next round going to come from, I, I don't think you have to provide a lot of guidance to uh, to founders that think about like, well, you know, what can I do to not have to raise that round, uh, or at least not not for a couple of years or something. You know? In in with some of the startups that we've talked to. Um, both on and off the record, that's on all of their minds, yeah. right? They have they have to look good. They have to be good at what they're doing, and they have to make that runway stretch out as as far as they can, right? Be, because this is a story that's being written as we speak. I mean, if I said to you, "So here we are in 2023. Where are we going to be in 2025?" After coming through the past couple of years you would have some uncertainty around that. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you have thoughts on that. I don't think we're going back to 2020. Well, I, you know, you never know that the sort of magnitude of the changes is really hard to predict. But one of the things that I've been talking about, uh, or, or I don't know, I call it like a rebuttable hypothesis. It's, it's true until it just doesn't pan out this way. Right. Is, um, the, this theory of the second bridge that, uh, that we talk about as a team where, you know, in the face of, of uh, a reduction in, in uh, you know, total venture capital in the insurtech space and, and you know, sort of particularly growth stage venture capital, uh, a lot of, um, the, the, I think there's a question about where are the exits in, in that environment? Why are companies not uh, being, being bought by incumbents? 
I think it's sort of part of a natural cycle. Um, and it, we just haven't seen that much of it. And I think a lot of it is because uh, the insiders, the investors in a portfolio company will often do an insider bridge mm-hmm. and, and buy that company, say, another year of, of runway to see, you know, what happens in the, in the macro environment, what, you know, what happens specifically to, to fundraising opportunities. And I think a lot of those companies are in the second half of this year will be coming to a, a decision point around, are they going to do a second bridge? You know, where they've, they've done one insider bridge and maybe they did it in response to a, like a low ball acquisition offer that someone, that someone offered and the investors didn't want to take, really nobody wanted it. To, to exit at that point. And I think there'll be a lot of companies that come up on the second bridge and discussions around, well, you know, we didn't want to take that, that exit at half the price of the last round. So we bridged it for a year, but you know, here we are again. And, uh, you know, is, has, has enough changed to where, uh, we can raise more money and, and keep it going. Or did you get to profitability or, you know, are we now willing to reconsider what's a what's an attractive offer? So I, I do think we're going to see more exits in, in the back half of this year, moving mm-hmm. into next year. And that doesn't get you out to 2025. Right. You know, well, that's but, okay. I'll let yeah. you off the hook. But I, do, I mean, I do keep coming back to this point. I, I do think, you know, the, the sort of long-term, I mean, we just raised a fund, right? And so we're going to be active for the next Decade, yeah, so, yeah, you have uh, money to spend. Yeah, we do, and, and it's and it's a nice time to have it. But I, I just I just think about you know the premise of our fund from the beginning was to was to make financial returns, but also provide innovation opportunities to you know, companies that are already in the insurance industry. And that job is just not at all done. You know that the, there's so much left to be done that I think there has to be real persistence in you know the the innovation world within the insurance industry. Are you seeing that? My sense is it's down from it, from where it was. Yeah, it, I think that it's become more focused. We see a, uh, so now we've been working with, you know, certainly American Family for 10 plus years. And then uh, a lot of these other investors for, for now, we're in year five working mm-hmm. together. And we see a, a very, um, in hindsight, um, predictable pattern where uh, there's a lot of sort of uh, widespread appetite for innovation at, at a company that wants to get involved with the startup world. Um, and they do a, a bunch of pilots and something's going to production and maybe they buy uh, you know, a company or what have you. But as time passes, every one of these companies gets more focused in, in what they care about. And uh, they come back to us and they say, okay, it was great when we were having these wide ranging conversations about just generally, what are you seeing? What's on your mind as an investor? But um, in this, in this next year, we want to focus on these three, three things. And, you know, it's different for every, for every company, mm-hmm. but it's, uh, you know, we want to focus on, you know, new distribution opportunities and, you know, ways to cut expense out of our, you know, uh, out of our IT budget or something, whatever yeah. it is, you know. Um, and I think that's a productive it feels like it's a narrowing, but I, I think it's probably more of like a deepening that we're going through right now. Well, and, and like you said, there, there's we're so far. The industry is so far from mature in this regard that that it's kind of it's a wide open, still a wide open field of areas where innovation may be welcome. Seems yeah, to me. I, I think so. Yeah. I, I mean, and, and it's interesting to me, even in a time where carriers, many, many, many carriers, particularly in the uh, PNC markets, are struggling to, to stay above the break-even, yeah. let alone make a dollar. Um, they're, they're nonetheless investing for the future in, in, in a, something like yours. Yeah, I, I think that's true. I mean, it, it, it's, you know, I, I saw, I think the Wall Street Journal had a chart on this a couple of days ago. It was uh, what, what the storm losses have been in, uh, you know, in the, in the US PNC market over mm-hmm. the past decade. And, you know, 2021, 2022, 2023, there are all outliers for, in, ter- you know, in, ter- in terms of uh unexpectedly high losses relative to a, you know, 15 year trend line. And so, and we're seeing that 
just uh, you know across the industry it's it's definitely been um uh we're definitely in a moment where um carriers are a bit more focused on what's the what's the appropriate rate than uh you know then how do we then how do we drive uh right. a, a little bit of efficiency in the process i think that there's there's a lot to be said there i mean you you read about companies losing money you know quite a bit right now loss ratios are, are not where they want to be is there a a focus on the insured tech side to help us price the policies better to help us during this high time I, I, you know, I, I don't know. I think we're certainly looking for it. Um, I mean, the things that come to mind are, um, you know, since since so much of the unexpected loss has been in, has been in the, you know, uh, catastrophes, um, you know, where where my mind that goes is what you know what can we do uh, as an industry around you know climate change or, or, or right predict better prediction of of. Uh, of these exposures um and then you know where there's been a lot of attention over the past year ever since chat gpt launched is just around what are the what are the opportunities for ai both in terms of efficiency within the value chain of the existing insurance company but then also in terms of what you know what might we not be thinking about or right. what are, you know what, what can we get from our own you know how can we accelerate our own data science efforts why does chat gpt matter to insure tech, there's a, a bit of a shift that I've observed. Where when we used to talk about AI, we used to talk about AI companies, you know, and, and we've invested in a few, and, and some of them worked out pretty well. But there are companies that are developing AI capabilities. Where ChatGPT and the whole ecosystem of, of companies that are in that same category matter, I think, is um, now what we're talking about is every company should have some use case for AI. And we're not necessarily evaluating a claims company in terms of their ability to, to develop a new AI you know, tool. We're talking about their ability to, to use the existing AI tool set to make themselves more effective. It, it's, it has the opportunity to turn AI usage into more of a table stakes category than it, than it used to be even you know, three, four years ago. It changes, in our view, the categorization of AI used to be its own category. And now it's just it's part of our you know, underwriting questions is how are they using AI? Mm-hmm. Not are they on the cutting edge of developing AI? Now, not are they making it. Right, exactly. Yeah, how are they using it? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But how can they use it? Can we talk about some of your portfolio companies? Sure. Tell us about Tire Agent. I, and I have to ask just because I love that name. Yeah. Tire, tire agent. All right. So this is uh, probably oversharing, but you, you've had Caitlin uh, Johnson on the program a, a, a few times. We uh, have. Part, yeah. Partner on it too. And she, she loves being on it. And uh, she's going to listen to this. And I don't know if she's going to be mad or if she's going to laugh at me for this. But t- Tire Agent was our longest uh, investment committee meeting ever. By by hours. I mean, usually, we'll, we'll, you know, usually the, the process that we go through, it takes, you know, it, it takes up a lot of time. But it comes to uh, ultimately, it comes to a decision meeting that we call our IC, our investment committee, where we where we you know debate it, and then every member of the investing team gets a vote, uh, sort of a weighted vote as to whether we should go forward with the with the investment or not, and. They, I mean, a long one. They're, you know, they're all, they tend to be scheduled for an hour, and then a long one will go for an hour and a half, maybe two hours. I think we took a break for dinner uh, for, <laughs> for, for, for tire agent, and and the reason why was because um, at the time the way that we made decisions was uh, it was me and three partners, and we didn't have the whole team uh, vote on it. It was it was really the sort of top of of, of the uh, hierarchy were, were voting on it, and all three. Of my of my colleagues and my partners were were in favor of voting for uh, voting yes for uh, for tire agent and I was in the no category and I wasn't in the no category for any reason other than it was hard for me to make the connection to why an insurtech fund was investing in an online tire retailer yeah and um, and the team was was trying every what what the team loved about it was uh, they have the, you know they have the opportunity to be in the top three uh, for um, you know, for for 
for tire distribution, which obviously every car has, and like a they Dr. sell a Seuss. lot of tires. Yeah, they sell a lot, a lot of tires. Of tires. Yeah. And it was really going well. I mean, they hadn't raised much money, and they were the the, the sort of tra- traction or trajectory of sales was really quite compelling at that stage. And so um, they were accusing me of being too tight when it comes to defining what what matters to us, because you know a lot of our money comes from the auto insurance industry and. Uh, Dan, I don't know if you've noticed, but you know, uh, autos have tires on them, and and I, and I was like, yeah, but come on, like, uh, how, how does that how does that affect insurance? And it turns out that they were they were selling some insurance uh, as part of it, and I was accusing them of falling in love with the with the traction, and you know, kind of rationalizing everything. And so we went back and forth forever on it, and they they ended up uh, kind of wearing me down. And eventually I was like, you guys are never giving this up, are you? And they're like, we are not ever going to give this up. And I was like, okay, fine. We'll, we'll, we'll move forward with it. And, and I'm glad we did because the, you know, the sales are up like 10 X since we invested. What, what, in what is it? What do they do? explain it to me? It's just, you, you need, you need tires, Rob. We, we got your tires. Like you sell what, tires. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and while you're at it, do you need insurance? Yeah. It, it, you know, it, we, we I don't understand the, there's a financing component to the tires as well. And, and you know, okay. there's a, there's a collection, but, um, uh, of information that you can use for an insurance cross sale. Um, but really it was just about, uh, tires are a hassle to buy and they just, they just make it easier. And then, you know, where we did kind of come to a, uh, you know, why us and, and, and what was the, what was the, the fit between uh, our, our, our fund and their business, you know, th- this notion that we've been exploring for years that people now call embedded insurance, yeah. but, but for us, it's just, you know, it, I, I think there's a real growth area in insurance distribution. That's, well, you weren't thinking about insurance and you'd probably prefer not to. But you know, in the next couple of minutes, uh, you're, you may be receptive to uh, to a, a you know a soft approach about closing a coverage gap that you may have. And, and uh, we thought that that they touch enough people in the tire business on a you know generally recurring uh, basis that that this could be worthwhile. And also, it's something that Amazon wasn't really in. It's mm. uh, it's it's kind of a difficult mm. thing to just buy and have show up to your house. And so it's. Uh, is that how it works? They, they they send you tires. Yeah, they, well, they send it to wherever you want them to send. You can send do they do the, they put them on at your house or no? No, you, you send them to your Jiffy Lube or you send it to your you know mechanic or whatever. You they, buy it, they ship it. Somebody else puts it on. Yeah, yeah, you just get a good deal on tires. Yeah, and it's a it's a bit of a lesson for me about overthinking the strategy. Sometimes uh, it's just a it's a good online business that hasn't been as subjected to uh you know pressure from from amazon or others uh-huh. yeah and and it's run by uh, a leadership team you know founder that comes from that space and had a lot of relationships that i didn't uh, frankly i didn't fully appreciate uh, at the mm-hmm. time and um you know it was a, you know I, i'll say like I, I told you a little bit of the story about like oh it was a big fraught decision or whatever but uh, it was actually a little bit of a of a like a inflection point in our practice where um, I think it was the first time that I essentially got outvoted and just said, oh, okay, you know, you, you guys are, and it, and it, and it felt really good. Cause you know, as we, as we've grown the team, we've, we've, uh, you want that. Yeah. You want that. You want yeah. That. And now we've got a lot of people that, uh, you know, serve on boards and, you know, lead investment discussions. And the, this, I think the sophistication of the discussion improves, you know, the more experience everybody gets. And that right. was a, that was a good moment for us. So you have a, Big responsibility. I mean, I mean, fundamentally, a bunch of people got together and gave you a bunch of money mm-hmm. to spend, and that—that's, you know, that's a big responsibility um, that you have to allocate it. Do you, when you are looking at somebody like tire agent, that's not normative? Do you have to go back t- to your LPs and or to your to your investors and say, hey, we're thinking about this, or do you have you you have the decision making authority um, singularly. We we have the decision making authority. It it really has to be that way, of course, just, be, just because of the speed. Um, but we are very. I mean, to your point, we're we're very accountable to the results, to the process, you know, to the to the reasoning, and um, you know, we report out every deal that we do and. 
we, we, we tell our limited partners after the fact why we did it. And it was sort of on record as to, well, at least explaining why we thought it made sense at the time. And, uh, well, you know, we'll see how it turns out over the course of, over the course of time. One of the, one of my questions early on was kind of what is your selling point to the, to the limited partners to get them to invest. But around that, I want to talk about one of your more famous portfolios, uh, companies in the portfolio was, was ring, mm-hmm. right? You saw that one in 2018, it got acquired by Amazon. Tell us about that. I mean, was that a, was that an interesting ride? Uh, yeah, that, I mean, that was a, that was a fascinating, um, there, there was so much that I could talk about with, with ring. So you've had Kyle Nakasuji on, uh, on the program. Kyle's the founder of ClearCover, but he was with us uh, at the time we made the investment in ring and, and Kyle led that deal. Uh, for us, it was maybe our 13th IOT investment. We had been exploring a thesis that homeowners insurers were uh, sort of an overlooked distribution partner or uh, sort of party to the growth of the home uh, automation space. Yeah. It's like I mean, 10 years ago, it was it was novel. Now it's sort of just generally accepted uh, right. as, as a notion. But at the time, we felt like we were breaking some, some real ground there. And um, so we were investing in water sensors and, you know, smoke alarms, you know, things that an insurance company cares about. And um, part of the part of the work and, you know, distribution pilots and seeing how some of those investments went, it, it did make us recognize that that homeowners care first about, I mean, they, they certainly care about fire and water damage or whatever, but, uh, but they really care about someone breaking into their house and um, significantly disproportionately to the insurance risk of that happening. Uh, where that, you know, so theft claims represent less than maybe 1% of the total homeowners insurance claims. But it's it's what people start with when they think about outfitting their house. And Ring had a solution that was, I, I think, compelling from a you know, from a price point of view. And it it had this, um, you know, view it on your mobile. And it was brilliant. It was, yeah, brilliant. It, it was great. And they were, they were spending money building a brand. I mean, Kyle and I had a moment where we were having lunch. Back when people had lunch with each other, you know, it, it was uh, back when you saw people. I know, and I, and I looked over his shoulder at this at this TV in a bar in Madison, and there's Ring on national television, and it was such a cool moment. We we were maybe like year three of investing together, and to see one of our companies now on you know national TV, I mean, just like a couple months after we'd invested in them was was really fun, and then every time we talked to Jamie. Uh, Simonoff, the, the CEO and, and founder of Ring, it was just good news. You know, it was like, oh, you know, we, we expect to do eight, $8 million in sales this month, and we did $20 million in sales. Or, <laughs> you know, Costco picked, Costco picked us up, and it's three times what we think. It, was just, it, was just, it just sort of ran away. And then Amazon bought them, and, you know, it, it was great. Um, but that was one where we, we definitely started with a, a thesis of connectivity to the, to the insurance industry. And, uh, it took us a while to get to one that was a that was a, a kind of a breakout like that, but that was that that was you know that was very gratifying. Has that happened again? Maybe not to the same scale, but um... yeah, there, there have been a, there have been a couple of others that um, you know the the thing that uh, everybody talks about is the uh, the the nature of returns in a venture portfolio where. Uh, you know the, the the way that investors talk about it is that it follows a power law, and the kind of non mathematician way of describing that is is the the number one return for your company, the sort of company that the, the, the investment that you that you make that pays off the best is going to is going to pay you back more money than the rest of the returns combined, and then the second one is going to pay more than the third through n you know combined, and um, so we've we've had a couple ring was ring was. Uh, a good one, uh, you know, a, a really good one that helped us kind of build some momentum. But we, we you know, we've had a, a few others along the way, and then we have a few more, knock on wood, uh, on that track. That, uh, yeah. But you, but you, you asked me what, what was the story that helped us raise money? It, it was a, it was a bit of, a, you know, credibility uh, as an investor. So we have to be able to show some of those returns for us. It, it has to. Uh, in every case, there were three people with like the nuclear keys or whatever like they all had to turn the switch at the same time and it was always the chief investment officer who looked at our you know investments over time and looked at the 
you know, things like uh, the IRR on the on the fund or uh, you know, whatever metrics they would consider to to think is you know is this a justifiable decision to to the finance reporting chain. And then there was often like a chief operating officer or a chief innovation officer that was thinking about how do we access deal flow for our own innovation purposes. And then ultimately there was the CEO and the CEO was typically thinking about cultural, some, you know, cultural story, which is, uh, you know, we, we want to, we want to get involved in this. We want to get our employees you know, thinking in more innovative ways. We want to, uh, you know, start some partnerships and I want to be able to answer to the board that we're, you know, investing in the space where we're seeing every year more and more investment going into this, uh, and so when all three of those aligned, um, we were able to uh, we were able to do it. I, I think the thing that that worked in our favor or has worked in our favor is that chief innovation switch for us. Uh, we we do invest pretty heavily in making those connections between the startup market and and our investors, and we do it certainly to be able to raise money, but we also do it. Um, it makes us it makes us smarter. There's so much to know about. It's, I mean, yeah, it, it's it's uh, so it's, much to know. It's it's completely humbling to sure. me. I, I've been sure. in the insurance industry for 18 years, and I, I swear there's not a week that goes by where I don't feel like, wow, I, I can't believe I didn't know that. I, that's a whole thing that that uh, you know that that uh, I, I didn't even understand it. And now we have you know 20 plus investors that we can call. Somebody's got got some experience there that we can get a little smarter and they must like they must enjoy that they do up to a point rob yeah i mean you know it's like uh, yeah. oh it's it's stan reed tell him i'm not, in, yeah, I'm not in. <laughs> first 12 times we call it's it's all great like after that it's like good god like give me the weekend or something. You know, but, uh, <laughs> we've definitely worn some receivers out is is kind of how we thought about it so we so we created a program to create more receivers we, we call it venture fellows where we, uh, for our for our investors, they they can send people to our little conference that we do, that uh, and they send people from all over their organizations. You know, from we've had agents go through, we've had senior VPs go through. Like it's it's been, uh, and we and we talk about what you know what is the venture capital market look like? What what are some of the spaces where we invest? What's it like to run a startup? What's it like to work with a startup? And it's uh, and the the hope is that there's more people sending us thoughts and uh, more people that we can send connections to and that's that's been something we've been doing five or six years now and it's been it's worked pretty well i have another question about another company branch is run by certainly i mean you talk about brilliant people in the insurance business or uh, yeah you stole my line on that one yeah <laughs> i mean that you, you sit down and talk to steve lickis for an hour and it's like oh my god i i just attended a phd level course in insurance here yeah. and uh great guy great company i love their i love everything about it except that they're not available in california where i live and maybe, so maybe someday yeah 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 it's kind of i bug them about it all the time and so um but but they hit this did they hit a big bump in the road or was it just a readjustment of how we have to look at things based on several things that we've talked about today, that that things have things have changed and we need to we need to operate strategically differently based on the times that we're in. I, I think it's that. Um, so I, I I totally agree. I mean, it, it, but don't forget about Joe as well. Joe Joe is, is Steve's co-founder, and yes. the two of them are are really really sharp. We'll have Steve speak to our team from time to time just uh, uh as a little bit of calibration for mm -hmm. this you know this is what someone who really knows the stuff looks like yeah uh, and also just you know what what should we all be thinking about as well so it's uh so so steve and, and the branch team have been have been doing well i i would say the the uh, i mean steve would tell you this i think so i don't i don't think i'm giving away anything and i don't sit on steve's board so i'm not uh, truly on the inside here but um steve has you know, before we got to what I referred to as InsureTech 2.0, this idea of balancing growth and profitability, Steve built his company based on that thesis. When we were still in an InsureTech 1.0 world, where you know he he was saying from the start, we need to be the group that's the most capital efficient. You know, that's able to get to profitability 
fat, able to get to scale and able to get to profitability faster than the, the, the predecessors because we're, we're building off of, off of a playbook that other people have, have demonstrated. And when, when he's talking about the playbook, he's not talking about the InsureTech predecessors. He is, but he's not only talking about that. He's talking about, you know, he's a sort of a historian of the insurance industry. And, and uh, so for Steve, when the capital market changes, uh, you know, he'll make the adjustments to his, uh, you know, to, to his uh, runway management. And, you know, uh, he, he unfortunately had to reduce his, um, you know, size of his team a bit to make sure that he is able to still deliver against the, the, you know, the, the premise that, that he's been building all along. And, you know, I, I think the idea of, of doing a, 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 you know, a team reduction of, of, of displacing people, I haven't ever been a founder who doesn't take that extremely seriously. I mean, we'll, we'll talk to founders about trying to turn to elicit from them a, a sense of obligation to us as their investors, you know, and the people who back us. And they very rarely have any sort of like moral uh, obligation that they'll express about, you know, returning the money to their investors. It's always about, you know, I hired these people and, you know, and we've created a culture and we've, you know, we've, we've created a, a team um, and people took a chance on me. And I feel like that's my duty is to keep that going as best I can. And uh, Steve definitely is of that, of that mindset. I want to get back and ask you another question about the current fund. Sure. When you do a fund like that, do you have a list of specific areas that you're looking for or or maybe there's some of the that's allocated like you know to these ideas, but the rest is just, you know, free agent money. Um how, how, do you budget it? Yes. So we do, we do a few things, and I'll try to keep this one short because we can get too into the weeds here. We, uh, as I mentioned, we have we have an investing team of thirteen, and we have we have a, a number of other people who are supporting uh, the, the operations of, of the firm. But those thirteen people, they they will um, we 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 did this exercise recently, sort of re reformatted it, but they're calling uh, certain geographies as areas of interest for them. You know, for for example, I'm going to be spending more time in Seattle than I have before, and um, uh, another person is saying, you know, they, they want to understand what's happening in in the Denver market or what have you, right? And it's not so much that they have like a franchise in that territory. I mean, anyone can go wherever they they, they want. It's more like I'm just I'm just saying that I'm going to go meet everybody that I can meet in you know in Seattle over the coming year, right? So they'll do a geographic lens on it, and then they also have a, a thematic focus area where someone uh-huh. would be looking at all the claims technology companies that I can find, or someone's looking at all the property technology, whatever. Right. And what we found is people develop uh, certain centers of gravity uh, on the team where, you know, if, if you've talked to 25, you know, claims companies, you start to see some patterns that, um, that allow you to be a little bit sharper when you talk to the 26th one. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that allows you to maybe get into the twenty sixth investment if that's what you want to do because now you're a little bit more credible and now you're sitting on the board of that company and you get a little sharper and then the, you know the next one comes along and it, it sort of naturally starts to to build that way. We are uh, we're, we're kind of focused that way. But then your question was how do we budget for that? That that's more of a strategic planning aspect. How we budget for it is we have a deployment model that we share with our with our uh, investors. Um both our investing team members, but also our capital uh, providers where we say, you know, we want to have this many portfolio companies and we want them to be, you know, this many at the seed stage, this many at series A, this many at series B. And, um, and we sort of track our deployment against that, um, against that model. You don't want to become over concentrated into any one company or any one concept. And you want to, you want to maintain, so, but you also want to maintain some flexibility around what what it, what is it that you're actually seeing and what is it that you're really getting excited about. So we we have a sort of loosely adhered to a deployment model and geographic and thematic focus. So not only do uh, companies find you, you find companies. So you're shopping, and and people are knocking on the door also. Yep, yep, and you're and you're talking to friends who are investors and. And uh, I mean, what, what, we're, what we're hoping for is that 
say you are, uh, you know, a Series A company and you're and you're starting to get organized around your Series B, we want the people that you talk to about who should we, you know, who should we go pitch. We just want to be on that that list. You know, we just want to be on the list of five or ten investors that everyone wants to reach out to. And uh, that makes sense. I think you are today. We, we we try to be, and you know, it's not always the case, but and that's a mix of out outbound you know, outreach, but also getting to know people who are also investors and then getting to know, you know, companies and backing people on their second startup or whatever. And, and uh, yeah. In the marketplace, the, the, the VC marketplace, has it shrunk around InsureTech? Is it um, smaller, less sexy than it was? So, so therefore people have moved on or there are, there are very few insurtech, you know, firms that would call themselves insurtech funds. There, are, there are very few of those who have stopped being funds. You know, one or two of the kind of pure corporate uh, funds have have stopped, but really, no news on that front. More of what's happening are uh, growth stage general firms that would do an insurtech deal, but it isn't what they would call their focus. They have been. Um, They've shifted to other sectors, uh, at a to, to some degree, and you know I think it's all of our job to shift that back over, mm-hmm. over the next few years. Mm-hmm. I, I just want to ask you a couple more questions, uh, and thanks again for being so generous today. Sure. You talk about InsureTech 2.0. We've heard different definitions of InsureTech 2.0. What is yours? Uh, InsureTech 2.0 is um, a more deliberate balance between growth and profitability and um, and an explicit narrative around uh, the the timeline to break even. Does it does it also refer to the kinds of companies that you're seeing today? Yeah, I I, I think that this, more the stories that they would tell about their about their about their plans. It, it's not like we've seen a major shift in what types of companies there are out there, but we've seen a significant shift in how they expect to be funded over their over their lifespan. Are you seeing like companies like branches where they're MGAs or 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 insurers coming to market? The hippos, the branches, mm-hmm. the lemonades. It seems like there's less action there. Well, there were never that many of them, you know. They're, they're so. Uh, but yeah, I would say there are fewer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's not like we see uh, uh, you know ten a year of companies who, who aim to be a carrier just because mm-hmm. it's it's expensive to get there. I think that's a benefit to branch to you know to clear cover that to to uh, the companies that are out there and established and growing and you know trying to get it on an IPO path um, that uh, they're not at major risk of of immediate disruption from someone coming up behind them. You know, faster, but uh, yeah, no, I, I think you know that that was always a really small part of the insure tech ecosystem, though. I mean, there are always more companies looking to work with the existing carriers, the you know, the existing market, um, than there were companies that were trying to compete directly with uh, with the types of companies that backed us. Uh, last question. Sure. So, why is it that left handers? have such longer careers. <laughs> Why is it, what is it about being a Southpaw? Is it that there's just fewer of you? You know, I, I'm going to, I'm going to chalk that up to the question I, I got from my, from my uh, former father-in-law who would ask me when I'm, you know, I was playing in the minor leagues and he would say, well, you, when, is, when is it, you're, when are you going to go pro? And I was like, man, I already am pro. Like, what are you, what are you, like, what are you talking about? <laughs> But then the other question is, uh, you know, people from time to time tell me, you know, le- you were a left-handed pitcher. Huh? I thought all left-handers had to do was throw strikes. And it was like, well, I'm sitting here talking to you as an insurance guy. So I guess I didn't do that either. But, but uh, <laughs> no, I just, I just think it's demographics. There just aren't as many left-handed people. But what I don't understand, what the real question for me about baseball is, is why does everybody throw 95 miles an hour now? I don't. How I don't did that, that happen? Yeah, it was like genetic modification or something happened in the last. I think last GMO, second. right? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah, drinking their milk. The, uh, the that's a great question. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I grew up a baseball fan, 
somebody who could throw in the high mid to high nineties was like a superstar. Yeah. Right. I mean, For first round draft pick every time that was Sandy Koufax. Now, if you can't throw like that, we never even hear of you. Yeah. Unless, unless you're on a insure tech podcast. Unless, That's right. Yeah. Well, we don't hear about you when you're playing ball, but we do hear about you when we trap you in a corner and force you to be on a podcast yes, for the second yeah. time. I might. Well, have. I appreciate you guys having me on. We're so grateful that you were able to come on. It's it's great, and and have a good time in Washington. Will you go to a Nationals game while you're there? Yeah, we might go do that. Oh, that's fun. You got to enjoy yourself some. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Dan. Thank you, guys. And I just want to say, we not only do we appreciate the fact that you've done this, but we appreciate what your org is doing for our industry. It's it's really important, and not just with the uh, the investments that you make, but providing kind of uh, some leadership around how a VC should work. And uh, and I I think that other other uh, investors look at you guys and say. Here's here's a here's a model for how to be successful. That's great. Thank you. Well, thanks for I appreciate that, and thanks for what you do too. Oh sure, that's that's the easy part because because <laughs> we we just fake the whole thing. <laughs> to me, for my money, mm-hmm. Dan is one of the most interesting characters <laughs> in the in the ecosystem. I would agree with you. He has. I, I like we can actually see Dan during the interview, right? We don't sure I guess that, but we're all on video. And to see Dan's wills just turning while he talks is is fascinating. He has so much knowledge and and it all comes out so effortlessly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He he's one of those guys that everybody likes. He's incredibly likable. And yeah. and yeah, we can't thank him and his team enough. We're honored to uh, be the place where they have announced their uh, their latest fund. Yes, congratulations. congratulations, congratulations, and um, of course, they're always welcome here. As we've had many members of their team on, and we're not even going to mention Caitlin Johnson's name, are we? Right, we wouldn't want to drop her name on another we episode. Don't want to say Caitlin Johnson. Yeah, Caitlin, we wouldn't want to say that name. Because how many times has the name Caitlin Johnson come up on this podcast? Well, you know, quite a few now. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, we wouldn't want to say Caitlin Johnson. Never going to say Caitlin Johnson's name again. Right, especially when it's not her episode. Right, we wouldn't want to take away you know, any glory from Dan and talk about Caitlin Johnson. By saying Caitlin Johnson. Who's been on the podcast more than Dan. But we wouldn't want to say that. We wouldn't want to say that. Who's almost been on the podcast more than us. (laughs) That is true. That is true. So uh, thank you, Dan and team, for being with us today. Thank you to our team for making this happen. And thank you to you, the listener, for being with us. And until next time. Goodbye, everybody. 